0: Hello, friends. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of the Pinkleton Pull-Aside podcast. Oftentimes when we do this, I'm talking to someone that either I have not gotten to meet in person or maybe it's been some time uh, since we've actually been together. But today I get the pleasure of interviewing a good friend, a good ministry tag team partner, a, a brother in the Lord, a guy that I've done some life with over three decades now, I think it is which makes one of us old. I'm not sure which one of us it makes old, but uh, we're blessed to have on the president, the founder of Urban Light Ministries and a 40-year veteran of the radio DJ industry, singer, preacher, the list goes on and on and on. I probably should just say Judy Williams' husband. That, that gets it all accomplished. <laughs> but uh, the reverend a friend, the Urban Light Ministries founder, Eli Williams. Eli, (laughs) welcome.
1: Thanks for being on today. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for the invitation. I do appreciate it. I've been looking forward to chatting with you as usual.
0: There you go. We get lots of opportunities to do that. Well, let's jump right in here, Eli. Give a little bit of your family upbringing testimony. Tell your story for a few minutes here.
1: Well, that depends on how far back you want to go. Um, it, It began when I was a baby so if we want to go back that far, uh, we can. I was born in Alabama in a place called Lowndes County, uh, which American history, true American history buffs will recognize as being the place of, uh, well, one of the places of the birth of the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, the uh, famous march to Montgomery uh, passed right through there, the, uh, uh, to Selma rather, uh, there's the Edmund uh, Pettus Bridge and, and all that. That's in Lowndes County. And uh, of course, Bloody Sunday, which, uh, which is the name for that uh, that Sunday in which the people who were simply trying to peacefully protest were attacked by a state-sponsored mob of terrorists called uh, police and patrolmen and, and uh, troopers, led by a bunch of folks um, who are not happy with the idea of Black people having the same rights as them. So that's, that was my beginning. <laughs> my uh, father moved us out of Alabama in 1954. I was three years of age and uh, started us on a journey of, of changing the trajectory of my family. Uh, my father came from a home in which his father walked away leaving his mother and kids to fend for themselves. And uh, my mother's father did the same thing. But my dad, uh, being a very young Christian man, decided he would never be that kind of man. And uh, he and my mom raised 13 children together on his meager uh, city worker salary. And I can truly say that I'm grateful for both of them Grateful for my father who uh, he laid it all down for the Lord and for his family and raised up, uh, I think, a pretty, pretty good bunch of kids. So I fall in the middle there of the pack. I am the ninth child uh, and the seventh son of Ulysses and, and Winnie Williams of Dayton, Ohio. So there, I took you all the way back to the beginning. How's that?
0: Wow, that's good. There's there's a lot of yeah, a lot of numbers involved. We get a family that big, <laughs> rankings and and who's what. That's that's some significant math going on there.
1: Nine boys and four girls to throw out two more numbers. That's amazing. Well, yeah. talk
0: about talk about what it was like coming to Jesus.
1: Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, my my father, both my parents were Christians, and so it was routine for us to go to church on Sunday, uh, both Sunday school and regular worship. We didn't have a children's church. The whole family sat together um, in uh, our Sunday church service. I grew up as a part of a Baptist church, uh, and uh, <clears throat> two Baptist churches over time, and was involved in the uh as I mentioned, the Sunday school, but also as a singer in the choir from a very young age. It started out in the Sunbeam Choir, which was the little kiddos. Mm. And as a teenager, I was promoted to the adult choir. I was the youngest member of the adult choir, loved to sing. And so that became uh, the focus of my life there during all of my teen years and even into uh, uh, the early part of my adulthood. And I can talk more about that later, but that was something I dearly loved, even uh, to the sacrifice of what was a higher calling. And uh, that is to say that while I was young, I had a relative who was she was like an aunt. She was actually a cousin, older lady, uh, but she prophesied over me that I was going to be a preacher when I was just a just a lad. Uh, in fact, she was instrumental in naming me after a prophet in the Bible. And uh, so I, I knew that, but did not take it to heart and had another vision for my life. You know, preaching wasn't exactly how I saw myself in my dreams. So Eli, when I, when so, I hear
0: stuff like that, let's stop right there for a moment. So when she, when your aunt spoke that over you and kind of gave you that vision, I you hear people say like you did, that nothing, It didn't stick right there in a the moment, and it was time later. But were those words kind of always resonating over good times, bad times, challenging times, times you want to walk away, when times are really good? I mean, how much do those words kind of reverberate over the years?
1: Well, there were those words, but I think even more so, it is what the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, or train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think that had more of an impact, kind of an unseen uh, impact. My parents believed that. And so they raised, our, they raised their children up uh, in, a, in a Christian way, believing that that was the path that, that God had for us. So even though I ran from what had been prophesied as a calling on my life, I was never able to get away from my roots as a child of reading the Bible, knowing, you know, something about Jesus and, and having at the age of 13, uh, surrendered my life to the Lord. Again, I was 13. So I didn't Mm
0: -hmm.
1: really take hold of that and run with it as, as I look back, I could have wished I had, but I was immature, immature. Uh, So all throughout my life, no matter what I was doing, in my journey away from God that never left me. So, so the word of God proved true. I may have thought I was leaving the, uh, having a relationship with the Lord, but he never left me. Mm. And so it was always there. So I, <laughs> my, uh, my buddies, you know, in my group, my singing group, you know, as we traveled on the road as a professional singer, they would, uh, they would just shake their head at me, you know, not really laughing, but just kind of looking at me cross-eyed because, uh, even, you know, after we'd been drinking or smoking pot or whatever, I'm always bringing up scripture and I'm, I'm always referencing something that the Bible says, uh, and, and they're looking at me like, what are you doing mm. talking about God? And we're out here partying, you know, it just uh, sure. was odd to them. So what was put into me as a child stuck with me all throughout my life, even at the height of my rebellion. Wow.
0: So what when that staying, staying out there, and I, I mean, I think there's always a balance between people just living their life and not even thinking about that. Versus, I think in some cases people say, okay, well that that calls on my life. I'll get there at some point. The point is just not now. Talk about your call to ministry, kind of when those birth pangs, the hunger pains kind of started taking place, wherever that you know leads to Urban Light, other ministry, and then take us to where from that early stages, I mean, I kind of remember when you guys were meeting on Saturday mornings and Rob Aller was involved in some stuff going on and it was kind of the early, early days of Urban Light, but how that went from what Urban Light was and kind of bigger, massive, trying to do a lot of different things to become the laser focused sweet spot that it is now. Speak to kind of some of those stages.
1: Well, the early stages began when my wife and I, you know, stopped running from God. Uh, and uh, we, we committed our lives to him as, as adults now. And we, we jumped headlong into involvement in the church that we, that we joined, got very busy. Now at the time I was still in radio. I was an announcer. I was a morning drive DJ. And when I received the Lord, uh, I knew that I could no longer continue in that lifestyle. And so I resigned that position and requested and uh, was able to start a Sunday morning gospel music show. Uh, So that was really the beginning of the ministry. Uh, And that was in 1985. And after we started, uh, you know, I started the the radio ministry, we also at about the same time, we started doing some outreach in the community, which included uh, some children's work, uh, jail ministry, we go into the jails and later into the prisons, uh, to bring the gospel to to folks who, uh, you know, who desperately needed the Lord. I worked with members of the church to do some Saturday morning discipleship, uh, or actually it was evangelism. And that comes from my years. I skip this part of my story, but so I'll go back just a minute, just a little bit, to help to illustrate uh, my answer to your to your question: uh, How did the ministry get started? During my years of seeking my calling, I had become involved with Jehovah's Witnesses uh, by. By virtue of the fact that my oldest sister had become a Jehovah's Witness years ago when I was a little boy and she had taken me to the Kingdom Hall and and to some of their meetings and so I I had that kind of as one path. That was a possibility for me and I I, I followed that path for for nine years in fact, and uh, so it was there that I developed a passion for for ministry for for door to door uh, what they call Christian witness. And so I, when I got saved, when I, when I came to Jesus, uh, I still had some of that passion in me. And so during the early days, uh, as a member of, uh, that traditional Christian church, I tried to lead an effort to do, uh, door to door ministry with some members of that church. And, uh, we did okay but there just wasn't the passion for it. Uh, but, but that stoked for me, a desire to do more in the community to, uh, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ mm. to people, uh, more so than, than traditional ministry. You know, uh, most preachers aspire to the pulpit and that's okay. I mean, I, I do enjoy pulpit ministry as well, but I was drawn more to, uh, seeking the lost out in the world where they, where they are. Uh, So it was, it truly was an evangelism spirit that I had. And so that's how we began, Jeff. And so it was only natural that as we were working with people actually out on the street or in their homes in neighborhoods, and we identified needs there, it just stands to reason that we began to do things like feeding the hungry, uh, food pantry and free meals and things like that, um, which led to other types of ministry. My wife with her medical background. I uh, had a vision for serving people's uh, physical needs their medical needs through a, a, a free clinic with some volunteer docs. So that was a part of what we did in the beginnings of what at the time we called lifeline ministries. So uh, yeah, that, that gives you a sense of the width and the breadth and, and also the the reasons for our early ministry, which was so broad.
0: Yeah. The initial thing was sidewalk Sunday school, right? Isn't that what
1: you called it? Yeah, that was that was a little bit later. That was, uh, that was in the early 90s, probably 1993, when it was our mutual friend, Wally Martinson, who told me about, because we had been doing some children's ministry, but more of a church-based ministry, Bible Mountaineers, for those who, mm. who might know about the Bible Mountaineers, my wife and uh, a friend of hers. Uh, actually were the driving forces behind that. And Wally Martinson, who's now with Mission Increase Foundation, uh, this was before the beginning of the Nehemiah Foundation, in fact, told me about Metro Ministries in New York, in Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, New York, which was doing a sidewalk Sunday school. And I just thought it was the greatest thing. And we started recruiting folks to to have conversations and, and prayer around what we might be able to do to reach children. This was during the time when the crack of epidemic was raging all over the country, but uh, in our uh, local community as well. And, and children were getting wrapped up in it, being used to, to run drugs and things like that. And we just thought it was horrible and prayed about it and, you know, asked the Lord, what, what should we do? And so we landed on this sidewalk Sunday school concept. So we started on a Sunday morning, uh, that group of us doing a sidewalk Sunday school in, in the Lincoln Park Housing Project neighborhood, and uh, it it really went well, and so it expanded from there and became an after-school program eventually.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's amazing a number of things. I mean, I you know, know you and have known you for a long time, but it's interesting the number of things you've been tied to, and I think some of those things, like you mentioned jail work or whatever, and I think about... Uh, Car County jail chaplaincy stuff and things that go on other places. And it's kind of been a neat, you know, whether there was nothing around like what you were doing and it kind of evolved into something else, whether you were directly involved or not, or it was just something that sped things up in another direction that other people have kind of done things with. That's a, that's a pretty cool. It's fun to hear that in one sitting versus hearing bits and pieces and parts over years that, that you hear that in one sitting. That's pretty cool stuff right there.
1: Another thing that happened, Jeff, I, and I'll just mention this, Um, If you want to talk more about it, we can, but uh, Adopt-a-Block started because we had begun a Christian cross-cultural fellowship in our building uh, where we were bringing Christians together across race and across ethnicities and and, and cultures and all that right here in our community, Christians uh, for Bible study and prayer. And that actually was the beginning uh, once we decided we needed to do more than just meet together, we needed to get out into the community and meet publicly in restaurants and places. And we needed to start doing outreach. And Adopt a Block grew out of that. You
0: know, it's amazing to think of the people in, in Springfield or beyond. And obviously, I forgot where that where did that idea come from? Was it in Texas or Oklahoma or I feel like it was somewhere southwest? Where did Adopt a Block come from? Some
1: place someplace, someplace in southeast. Texas, Dallas, I think there had been an a block going on. And I think it was Pastor Jim Britton that got wind of that. And then Tony Valle, oh, yeah. who was uh, working with us, he was a part of our Christian cross-cultural fellowship, actually went out, he and his wife, and they visited to see firsthand how that was, how that worked and brought back a, a great passion mm. for it.
0: Well, I think what's interesting is people who were not either around back then or, you know, just people who are younger who never saw that in action. I mean, that was his robust and is thriving is probably any focused thing I've ever seen at Springfield back in the I mean, I went out probably a couple times. I didn't do it on a regular basis, but I went out a couple times, one time to Ronez and I forgot if it was Southwest part of town. I went out another time, but I'm like the impact and number of people that were involved and churches being mobilized. That was pretty incredible time to say it's the least. Great
1: ministry. Yeah, great.
0: That was super cool. So talk about the last couple years. I, I sometimes I think when you have a, podcast conversation it's easy to always lean on COVID or want to talk about it and other times you know it's almost like we're tired of it let's talk about something else but eli for a guy who's in his mid-70s how you're 74
1: wait a minute you're making right. me older than wait, i am. i'm sorry somebody 70, 70, thanks thanks guy 74 appreciate that no it isn't, Eli. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be 71 in february oh.
0: I was just giving you the wisdom of somebody four years older than you. Uh,
1: that's what it was. Nice, nice, nice recovery. And the
0: good looks and that, that beard is looking awful good and more, more okay, salt Okay, so now you're pepper. going over the top. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, th- I think the reality is everybody's been impacted by the last two years. with every, You know, social unrest, political division, race. Uh, and, and obviously, since people will hear this, if they somehow hear this and don't know who you are, you are a black man. Who's lived some life and experienced a lot of things? What has it been like if COVID, and this is probably a terrible analogy, if we treated it like a car wash, Eli Williams going into it, Eli Williams coming out of it, we're still in it, but how are you different? What are, what are you like now and where are you headed that you were not there, you know, 21, 22 months ago?
1: Uh, it would be. More difficult to try to answer that question talking only about the impact of COVID, separated from the impact of uh the post-George Floyd incident. So if it's okay with you, I'm gonna put those two together. Yeah, because there's well, uh, I'm including hard to,
0: everything. There's a yeah, bunch it's of it's stuff. Hard hard to separate them. Yeah.
1: I have become very disappointed in the Christian church in America more so than I ever have been. Uh, I became ac- acutely aware that there are vast, there's a deep and vast divide uh, in the church in America, uh, unfortunately, and th- there's there's no escaping it. And I have uh, become aware that there are people whom i have known for years i mean years like during my relationships that have developed during my christian walk here Mm -hmm. and um, i have just been uh, shocked really on on, in some cases uh, and just disappointed in other cases to see this deepening and widening rift among christians uh, around COVID, uh, around politics, around race and fill in a uh, blank, had, all the above. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and so it, it, you know, I'm, I'm more prayerful about it. I'm trying to do more about it, you know, as I can in my own world to try to, to break down those, those kinds of walls to, to do teaching, uh, to listen, uh, uh, to people and 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 to try to learn and to try to persuade when possible, uh, that has become more difficult. It seems that you know people are becoming more hardened in their beliefs, and I'm not talking about scriptural beliefs. I'm talking about political uh, beliefs, beliefs around uh, you know how how people view the government, uh, the suspicion with which. So many uh, people whom I know, Christians, uh, have developed um, against uh, the government and Christians of a different political persuasion. Uh, There just has uh, been walls erected. The walls are already there. Those walls have been strengthened, I think, just in the last uh, six years or so. And so that, that has been very disheartening to me. And this is, and this is, despite many, many years of my own personal work um, in in racial uh, reconciliation and peace. <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, in many ways, very disappointing. I, I continue to hold out hope uh, that the uh, faith, in fact, that the kingdom of God will prevail, that the unity that we you know, in in Scripture are admonished to work for, to endeavor for, in fact, to work for the peace and unity among Christians, uh, because as people see the love of brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that's a great witness to the Lord. And they'll be more inclined to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, uh, and more inclined to listen to the the words of our our witness when our lives back it up. Uh, Unfortunately, the way it it has gone, I think we're actually driving people away from the church uh, because they're not interested in being a part of a movement where the people are divided along ethnic lines. I mean, it's bad enough that we're divided along denominational lines, but uh, these days, um, the differences in different Christians' political beliefs and leanings has has just widened and has become so unattractive that grieves me. So I know it must grieve the Lord.
0: You know, it's amazing when you share that, Eli, I've heard you talk like that a little bit before, but what amazes me is you're not deterred. You don't play a victim card. You don't wear that on your sleeve and not quick the and, and what I'm going to say here is probably gonna be a major negative to somebody. So I hope this is taken the right way. But you don't run towards the the lane of deconstruction. It's not like you're fleeing Jesus because of this or whatever. You just seem to lean in more. I see you making yourself very available. You know, if, if I was trying to put someone in touch with you right now for a cup of coffee or whatever, um, I can't imagine you wouldn't do it. And I appreciate the honesty and the vulnerability and what you're saying about being discouraged. But there's nothing about you that says that's holding you back or hindering you in any way, which to me is just major... Props, major kudos. You know, this was not a race conversation, but recently in one of our locker room groups, um, there's a black man who shared with us about a home invasion that happened to him several years ago. I think it was a black-on-black a black thing from what he told us. But the way the ears perked up and the way the eyes got very focused on this guy and how he's really tried to lean into what the Lord's doing, and there's been a lot that's been involved and obviously, I mean, I can't imagine what that's like in his world to have to look at, you know, people. And, and he said anybody that looks like those people um, to him, he just right away, it kind of sends up this, you know, chill in his spine and, and it's been a tough road to recovery and, and counseling and whatever other things. But just because I haven't gone through that, I don't think anybody else that heard that story has gone through that. You just taste and see an experience somebody else has gone through that A, breaks your heart, but B, you're just like, wow, I mean, I've never experienced that. What what would be the other, you know, and, and I'll use the term cultural moment loosely, what's the other cultural moment in your lifetime that would even come close to being what the last two years has been? I mean, I'm sure this is the most significant cultural moment you've ever dealt with, and there's been other, you know, tragedies, but probably not so many compiled one on top of the other. What would you What would you compare this to if there's even a remote comparison or number two situation you've lived through?
1: Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. I mean that, um, you know, I was a teenager. I was in, in high school when that happened, you know, that was a, that was a world changer for me. I mean, my own, my own world, something else about me. I, I have been a part of two cultures, like growing up. Uh, as a child, we always went to black churches, all black, you know, no white people in our churches, in the churches that were my family churches growing up. Uh, so, you know, of course, you know, no black, no whites in my in my family, uh, no other ethnicities. So it's been, a, I, I lived a black life, a thoroughly black life at home and at church, but in my school life, all the schools I've attended have been integrated so i am really a child of integration i mean since kindergarten um, i went to irving elementary in dayton ohio which is in the edgemont neighborhood and it was a mixed neighborhood and our school was mixed we had little white kids a little black kids and who knows what what others uh and then you know there's junior high and high school they were all mixed schools so I've had white friends, you know, my whole life. So I've walked in that world while also living, you know, in, a, in an all-Black world. So I've been multicultural, sort of, uh, my, my whole life in that way. And when, when the Martin Luther King assassination happened, it, it rocked my world because I saw for the first time that there is hatred against people that look like me. People who are striving to make it a better world, striving to have a better life for themselves and for their their families, uh, and that there are people out there that 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 hate them for it and want nothing to do with people that look like me. So that rocked my world, and so that that's a that's a time you know in in my life in my own personal history that'll always stand out uh, for me. And keep in mind that being a music lover, you know, I, I, I loved all kinds of music, It was a genuine music lover. It wasn't, it's not just Christian, not just gospel music and church, you know, church music, choirs and all that, love all that. But in my own private time, I, I've got the radio, on, and I'm listening to WING, hmm. uh, you know, top 40 radio, where every kind of music under the sun. That was popular was being played and so i'm listening to the radio and i'm hearing i'm hearing uh yes chuck berry and and uh, the temptations but i'm also hearing elvis presley you know and i and i'm hearing the beatles and i'm hearing johnny cash and and i'm hearing this whole mix this uh this hodgepodge of music and and I had an appreciation for all of those kinds of music from R&B to jazz, to blues, to country, you know, to to rock and roll. It it was, for me, music was life. So in my world, going to these integrated schools and having white friends and having black friends and and having this uh, eclectic, this this broad musical uh, range of taste uh, that, that, has, that marked my life. That's a part of the DNA of, of my life. And now with the assassination of, you know, first President Kennedy and then, and then Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that began for me an awareness of my Blackness that uh, I didn't have before uh, and understanding that, you know, I'm living in a hostile world. No matter how, how it may look for me, the reality is that um, that the world is hostile uh, toward toward me and, and people like me. And I began to to see things change. Some of it had to do with the with the development of technology. You know, when it comes to broadcasting, uh, also the the science you know, the, the demographic sciences and and, and all of that, that, that started to drive radio toward narrow casting rather than broadcasting. When different styles of music, different genres, you know, were peeled off and radio stations were, were developed, radio programming was developed to reach a particular person, you know, their ideal listener, uh, you know, whether that ideal listener be a Teenaged, you know, African American kid, uh, then the music would be focused on only playing what that perfect model of a listener would want, uh, you know, or, or the science would say. Uh, or if it's a if if it's a white teenager, you know, girl or boy, then what what would they like? Let's craft a a a program or a show or an entire radio station. Aimed at that particular demographic and psychographic, and, and so radio began to splinter off into these into these narrow focuses, and that contributed toward what was already happening in society. You know, not that there wasn't already segregation, but in in the uh, when it comes to radio, uh, that further divided people. And so now people can listen to only what they enjoy and nothing else, and, and never develop an appreciation for other styles, for other cultures, uh, for other tastes. It was all about, you know, what I like. And, and that's not all bad. I'm not saying that. But it is one of the factors that began to draw people away from each other. And the same thing happened in the Christian music world, uh, as unfortunately you know, happens. Uh, The church follows the world instead of the world following the church. And so even today, we've got this narrow casting of Christian music. And uh, again, it has served to divide not only the community, uh, but also the Christian community.
0: Elaborate on narrow casting because I remember when we had this conversation um, recently and I was really struck by some of your thoughts. And I had never heard of that term before related to the music industry and how it's probably... You know, on one hand, culture kind of dictated it. On another hand, music kind of maybe dictated culture. But speak more to that because, I mean, have you ever seen or heard anybody really talk about that? Any kind of level of depth or any books out there or, or articles? or Because
1: I've just never heard it really talked about. Uh, there may be some books out there. Yeah, there's books on everything. So, you know, I haven't done that research. You might want to hurry up and do it because you might have a book to write in narrow casting. Well, I lived it, you know, so I'm, I'm only... I'm only recounting what I experienced, what I saw, what I witnessed in my years uh, as a broadcaster, but also, you know, as my years as a, as a music lover and, and the sadness, you know, uh, at the loss of top 40 radio, <laughs> I guess I'm still mourning that. And, and, and there are some stations out there now that you can find uh, the internet has made it possible for just about anybody to, to put together a music show. Uh, podcast or, or what have you. So you can find places to, to get a mix of, of music the way we used to have during the top 40 days, but uh, it, it's not the hot thing it was back then uh, to, to have all of these different styles being played and, and giving kids growing up a sense of the, the, the universe uh, of music, and not only uh, the, the, the one particular uh, one that they tend to lean toward. So I don't know if if that's book worthy. I I don't know. If you say it is, then I'll, you know, I'll go along. You brought that up again. I was just thinking back to that conversation we had
0: that day and I don't, I don't know if you could tell it then, but I mean, you really struck a chord with me about, uh, I mean, clearly we were talking about it more related to the music industry and that was, I think we had the conversation based on the Jesus music movie had just come out and I don't, I don't think you had seen it yet, but you were curious about it. I, I had just seen it and I think whether it's food culture, certainly church culture, music, whatever the case may be, I was just, I was really saddened to think how much that shapes our lives in a way that we don't get to add flavor where we get to add flavor. I mean, I love, yeah. you know, when I'm in a town I'm not familiar with, I want to go to a local place. I want to find out what do the locals tell you you need to do. And if there's an ethnic side to that, I definitely want to try it. What was it? I just had some really goofy item recently somewhere that I would have never thought, Like, wow, that's any good? It wasn't like turtle soup. I've had that. I had a pumpkin bowl of pumpkin soup somewhere recently, but I had something else really kind of goofy. And I just thought, wow, I mean, what if I wouldn't have tried it? Because, well, it's not, you know, typical hamburger or steak or chicken or whatever. And I just think music's kind of the same way. You know, you've lived a very unique, I'll call it a glorious church experience by doing some of the versatile things you did now, being in an all-white church minus, you know, a few and I, I just think there's something to that narrow casting thing that kind of sads my heart.
1: Well, the same thing has happened really in, in talk in, in news in cable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, we have, we have now, you know, you've got your Fox news, uh, but then you've got your CNN and depending on your political leanings, you can pick what, what news you want to listen to, what commentary you want to listen to. And so they've got this thing called confirmation bias you know, if you think a certain way and all you hear are opinions Mm -hmm. that lean towards your way of thinking, then you become narrower and narrower in the way you see the world. Uh, And so that's happening on both sides. And it is contributing toward this this division in the community in general, uh, but also in the church, because folks only know one thing, they only have you know one opinion about things they see things one way and what they consume in the way of news and commentary feeds that and those beliefs and so the folks who don't think that way are now the enemy because you know they go against everything in my world and so i want nothing to do with any of those people because they're you know as far as i'm concerned they're of the devil And uh, how tragic is that? Mm. So, so it's not just music. Uh, It's, it's kind of our world in general that is becoming uh, so divided and so deeply divided uh, that it really cannot end well uh, without the Lord's intervention. Amen.
0: Wow. I want to skip to our uh, rapid five questions. I call it. They're kind of quick hitting five questions that are kind of silly, kind of goofy. And then I'm going to end with a question related to a movie I just saw. And then we'll, we'll pick this up later, but Eli, um, what is your favorite childhood snack or cereal?
1: Cabin crunch.
0: And that, that is a popular answer when I've asked that before people. Is like, it really? Yeah. Or, or like Frankenberry. I
1: think it has or... I think it. Has
0: <laughs> I think people might've said that one too, but, uh, <laughs> so other than your own book, which we'll talk about some next time, but, um, what Are is your other books? Huh? That's, well, we'll, we'll, you'll, we'll see what Go you ahead. answer to this I, question. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite book to gift to other people? If you can give any book to other people, what would be the book you have given or most want to give to other
1: people? Uh, I'm going to give you the obvious answer. Uh, That's the Bible. the Bible. Okay. Then what's yeah. the second book you'd like to give people as well? Well, I don't know. I am currently, uh, I've, I've read through and now I'm, Going through again in a in in a locker room, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, until Unity yep. uh, by Francis Chan. Locker uh, rooms just, are the gathering
0: just... small groups for people who are not familiar with that t- term. Those are the small groups we utilize within the gathering the Miami Valley.
1: Yeah, so it's an opportunity to to you know first read the book and then go back and, and break it apart and discuss it in the company of of, of others. Uh, I really enjoy that. So yeah, that that probably is the book for at this moment in time that I would recommend every Christian read.
0: Yes. That's a good one. No doubt. Okay. So you're off on a trip, you and Judy and Elijah and some other extended family, and we've got some younger kids, let's say in the ride. And you know, if you're like me, I can never time it right when we're going to stop for lunch on a road trip. Either somebody's going to go to the bathroom or we got into some traffic or we landed in this area where there's really nothing around. But you see on an exit sign, these three places listed, where do you go? And we're going to assume you've traveled to the one that's least familiar, maybe to some, you got McDonald's, you got Chick-fil-A, and I'm hoping you've been to In-N-Out Burger. If you get these three options, where would you go?
1: I'm probably going to keep driving until I find a Red Robin.
0: (laughs) Well, nobody's given that answer. That's a pretty stinking good answer because I do love me some Red Robin. (laughs) And I've always said they're great at hamburgers, but they're great at a whole lot of other things, maybe even better than hamburgers. Yeah. Good call. Plus the endless fries. And now they throw in endless broccoli. And if on your birthday, you get a Sunday. Look,
1: yeah, man, what are you talking about? You can pick your own bread. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can make it any way you want it. It truly is, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of burger place that raises the bar.
0: You know, two interviews ago, this question wasn't so bad, but the time of the afternoon it is. I don't like this question anymore. It's making me. I don't either. I'm hungry. (laughs) So what's the, okay, Eli, what's the, what's the movie that every time you stumble across this movie, you get pulled in and you have to watch it.
1: You know, I, I saw that question on your, on your tip sheet here and nothing came to mind then. And it still isn't.
0: Give me a TV show. Then what would be a TV show? Sitcom. Maybe or something days gone by years gone by current past.
1: Something that I would watch over and over. Is that what you're yeah? That you're asking? just
0: like, oh, it's I'm 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 keeping a remote here. This is too good. I gotta leave it for a bit.
1: Well, I haven't I haven't seen it in a while, but I used to watch the Wizard of Oz oh my every year. You're gonna be I never to got me. tired of it. I've never, never. Se-
0: I've never seen the whole thing.
1: Get out of my no get out of my life. You're you are not kidding
0: me. <laughs> I've never seen the whole thing. No. That
1: cannot be possible.
0: It's, I think I've seen a good bit of it. I think Judy Garland scared me to death. <laughs> what? I'm like, forget the witch. I think Judy Garland's kind of scary. That's hilarious. It used to be on like during, <laughs> was it during like football season on a Friday night on CBS? And I I never watched it. That, Incredible. Yeah, that's, you,
1: you need to make yourself watch The Wizard of Oz yeah. through at least once.
0: I've never seen Animal House. I've never seen, what was the famous... Golf movie with like was it Aquil Balushi or whoever, uh, Caddyshack, a, a bunch of those movies I've never seen, never seen Listen, any of the
1: Ghostbusters, The Wizard of Oz will preach. I mean, if you yeah. if you watch that movie sure. and you think about an application for for a Christian, the Christian life, yeah, actually for anybody, we spend so much time and energy looking for what's right in front uh, of us. There you go. And that's what, that's what that movie's about.
0: I hope I find it on streaming. Cause now you got me wanting to watch it. I can't, I would <laughs> never have said that. I don't think anybody convinced me of that, but you just did Eli. So the last important yeah. question, I hope you did take your time to figure out the answer to this. Who was your first celebrity crush?
1: You know, I, I can give you the popular answer. Uh, because growing up all of, you know, not all, but a lot of my friends, particularly my white friends were in love with, with Annette Funicello.
0: Oh wow! Okay, I thought you were gonna from, say Marilyn Monroe somehow. Yeah, from from Disney,
1: yeah. Okay. Um, I I can't say that I personally had a celebrity crush.
0: Okay, fair enough. I'll. Give had you some that.
1: guy crushes. I didn't have any girl crushes. Some man crushes. Man, you know, I was a boy. There you go. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing noth- noth- sexual there. It's yeah, just I, that I always I I admired. I admired the Temptations, there especially go. David Ruffin. Oh, there I mean, go. that guy—I thought he was the the consummate singer entertainer. So, uh, so anyway, there's that.
0: Speaking of David Ruffin, did you watch the movie? What was the documentary about? It was going on around the time of Oh Woodstock that they had the thing in Harlem. What was that called?
1: I know the one you mean. I can't think of the name here. Yeah, because right David away. Ruffin's
0: in that. That's a great. That's a great documentary. Was it called like Three Days in Harlem or something like that?
1: I'm not going to lie. I can't, I th- can't think of the name, yeah. but I, I certainly, I know the scene you're talking yeah, about. Never and that was that. during the time after he had left the temptations. Yeah. Uh. And he was out there on his own. He did. All right. You know, right. that was not a, that was not a great time in his life and career. Mm, wow.
0: Hey, last question. So I, I got one last question. And Again, I saved clearly some stuff cause we're gonna have to do a part two cause there's too much. I don't want to rush through, but So I just watched King Richard, the movie about the Williams sisters. I'm a big tennis fan, and uh, it was a very intriguing story. And Richard Williams' whole thing in life is he was championing these two girls. With Eli Williams' investment, what do you most want to champion, whether that's men you get to invest in, that's son, grandson, whatever, what do you most want to champion? With Richard Williams, it was clearly tennis playing daughters who broke many barriers and Serena clearly is the greatest ever. Venus is one of them. What are you championing or what do you want to say when it's all said and done? This is the mark of Eli Williams championing X.
1: Wow. You know, is there something that would be anywhere near to be comparable to the Williams family? Probably not. I can tell you what I'm what I'm doing right now at this very moment. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, I wasn't speaking like it has to be
0: some sports thing. Just in general, okay. in life, what do you want to champion?
1: Well, at this moment, I'm championing the Springfield Football Wildcats. You are. There is no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I am so excited. R- remember, I've watched these kids since they were peewees growing up playing football together. I got a grandson who... Was in that group. He graduated last year. He's in college now. But those boys have put in the work, and I just believe that we ought to get behind them. And Mm -hmm. you probably got people listening from outside of of Springfield, but wherever you are, uh, these kids deserve—they deserve to be supported, congratulated, celebrated, Mm -hmm. and and all that because they exemplify what it means to start out young, to stick to something, and to fight and fight and fight until you win that's a great word
0: and you are championing that no doubt about it well
1: eli pause we are going to pick
0: this up so i'll have to schedule and let you know when we get back on but it's been a great conversation and always a joy and a pleasure to count you as a friend as a brother thanks for joining us blessing and a pleasure
1: thank you jeff god bless
0: Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation.
1: The Rise FM Podcast Network.